Oh, my stars, Steve. My stars and stripes. We have some exciting news. Shall we tell them? We should reveal that Chinwag is hitting the road again and going on a West Coast tour. Yes, that's right. If you missed us in your fair city, truly, friends, don't fret, don't fear, don't have a panic attack. (laughs) Do not panic. We will be recording live Chinwags in May in Los Angeles, Portland, and Seattle. Yes, in L.A., we'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on May 14th. You can go to chinwagpod.fm slash Los Angeles for tickets. And on May 16th, we're going to be in Portland at Revolution Hall. For those tickets, go to chinwag.fm slash Portland. And we'll be at Town Hall, the great town hall in Seattle on May 17th. For tickets to that, go to chinwagpod.fm slash Seattle. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mighty, mighty. So get your tickets at chinwagpod.fm, and we will see you there. Come on out, waggers. Come out, waggers. Come out. (laughs) Come out of hiding. I take a lot of positions that get people upset. People I've known for a long time are very upset. But I don't go on social media to figure out how I'm doing. Because I think it's a I think it's a trip downhill. I mean you have to yeah. think about who's doing the posting. So I I have to tell you to try to get affirmation from that from that box. Um that's not where it should come from. And and exactly Jordan, right. a lot of people they I've noticed because John, of you just need doing, to call me. You need to tell me I'm doing good, John. Well, I have to tell call you, me. you know, what I what I noticed, Jordan, I, you know, and I'm frankly surprised is how many people like you. Um, it's been <laughs> stunning to me. So, Jordan, I. Yes. Uh, you know, it's still winter, right? And we got like a lot of snow out here. And then I did something that I wondered if you did in Michigan. I'm sure you did. And uh, that was I went snowshoeing the other day. Um, it was the hardest thing was to put the gear on. And, but my buddy and I went out. It was about a half, maybe 45 minutes before sunset. And I'll tell you, it was it was just so beautiful. I mean, I know there's snow skiing and sledding and all that. But my wife kind of got me into snowshoeing. Did you do much of it? It's it's so peaceful. I I am I never did that 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 is old school, Governor. I I wasn't expecting snowshoeing, but I I respect it. I'm not gonna I won't make fun of you for for snowshoeing. It's a uh, it's it's the way our ancestors got around in the winter. So I I, I have not what I did. We had a huge. Uh, giant blizzard this week and my little one who's one and a half uh, I wanted to take him out in the snow so I dressed him up but at that age they can't really move in the snow and so we put him in a sled and we like ran him around and he had fun and he liked the snow but couldn't do anything in it so we just kind of stood him there and he pointed at snow drifts and my wife and I had an earnest conversation about whether or not we should literally toss him into the snow drift like it's soft it's fun it's safe but it would literally just be throwing our child into the snowdrift, and it's New York, so it's also a snowdrift is just on the side of the road. Yeah, so, well, with cinders in it and everything else, but, potentially. But, so I was no, standing there ready you, to fling him into the road, you, and luckily you she said tr- no. You should try snowshoeing. The thing that's cool about it is it doesn't matter how deep the snow is. I would believe that Margot, who will be our guest here, coming from a little town in Illinois, I'll bet she did her share of snowshoeing. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they want to go south. They want to, like, avoid the winter. You know, yes. I'm down in, in Florida. You get up, and nothing wrong with Florida. You get up every day. It's just beautiful. The sun is shining. It's warm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of like the fact that it gets cold. There's ice. You can put your snowshoes on, or you can ski. And one of the things I like doing when I was a, when I was a kid I like sled riding, and you'll be doing that with whip. I have no doubt about it. Where I came sled, from, wait, Pittsburgh, sled riding, like like riding a sled. No, even they're, your, they're, your, your no, vernacular, no, your vernacular complete, is, is no, no, is they're set completely different. Ago. No, no, they're completely different. S- sled and, you riding know, if is you not were from Michigan. How would you know? And now living in New York, you have no clue. <laughs> well, I but, knew the I knew the politics in Ohio were backwards. I didn't even know the language is backwards. Oh. So it's sled riding in Ohio. It's not riding a sled. 
No, we call it in Pittsburgh, it's called sled riding. So I have both Pennsylvania and Ohio against you. And, you know, up there, I guess, you know, what can I tell you? You've never been snowshoeing. You probably have never ridden a sled. You probably don't ski. You probably don't do anything but sit in your house and drink whiskey uh, by the fire, right? Yeah, yeah. And now that I, we, you and I have figured out, or I have figured out by listening to you, what whiskey is in terms of bourbon or not bourbon, you know, all that kind of stuff. The way you describe this, it sounds as if it's pejorative, but I accept all of those things as fact. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I do in the winter. I don't go out snowshoeing or skiing. I sit by, I, I wish it were a fire. I sit by Netflix, which emanates heat, and I drink whiskey. So yeah. that's, I think that's pretty good. Well, you know, that's, uh, you know, you're, you're missing out on a whole lot. And, and maybe you ought to just like go to Florida and miss all of all of uh, winter, you know, <laughs> just go down there and hang out. And by the way, I'll be going down there and it is awfully nice to get out of this. And when you get down there, you say to yourself, how come I'm not down here more? But, you know, there's just something to be said for winter. I, I will admit, and this is this is a segue into our guest, but I try to find the right how far south is comfortable south? I still like the north. I like the energy of big cities. And I have found Nashville to be one of my all-time favorite towns. I go down there whenever I can. My wife and I take vacations down to Nashville. It's slightly warmer. It's fun. It's a great music city. The food is delicious there. Good cocktails. I'm sure they have wine for you as well, Governor. But this is a this is a prelude into our guest, who I am a, a fan of. I became a fan of her first album, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. She's uh, getting ready to go on tour. Grammy nominee, newest album. That's how rumors get started. Give it up for Miss Margot Price. Welcome, Margot. Hello. I've uh, I've enjoyed this debate about <laughs> snowshoeing this, and the sled riding. Um, did you grow See, up with any of that? Did you, you get that, Jordan? So, she didn't say riding a sled you, like I'm riding on a stagecoach. Well, you know, come on. So I have I've done snowmobiling. I've uh, I've wrecked a snowmobile before. I I have put on a pair of snowshoes, but it wasn't something we did often. We would ride like a toboggan and and go skiing for sure. But been in the South for 18 years now. And I do like it here in Nashville, but I, uh, at times, you know, during the pandemic, it has been a little painful to, to be here. Uh, yeah. You grew up in Illinois, is that correct? I did, yeah. And my folks are still up there, so we make it back there every so often. And, and we've actually had, it's been unseasonably cold. I mean, when I first moved here, it, the climate was just different. And now it's like... This winter we've had it snowed three times and there's like no snow plows. There's like two in the whole state. And so we didn't have enough groceries when this last one hit. And I went out in my four-wheel drive truck. I'm like, I'm from the Midwest. I got this. And there's semis just sliding backwards down the road. Everybody's like wrecking their car. And <laughs> so I yeah, know. we it was really scary. And I I went, we just went back home and, and hibernated, but <laughs> I yeah. feel like that's always Midwest cockiness always hears about folks from the South who get one 32 degree day and a half an inch of snow and the world stops. And I do think it's a point of pride. Even Midwest nice can't hide feeling a little bit superior. Like you're freaking out over half an inch. I had, I had six inches yesterday and I went out in shorts. So I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Margo, I, I have to tell you in, I'll I'll be honest. I didn't know much about you. Okay, hey, that's this, okay. This got scheduled. No, but uh, I I was reading up on you, and then um, I was yesterday by myself in the gym, and I listened to River, learning to lose. You made me close to to tears. The store, the, the 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 songs, and I've been playing them for my a couple of my friends. I played it today. Uh, one of the young guys, Trevor, who works with me, and then he, of course, sent me to Johnny Cash doing Nine Inch Nails, as you remember that. But but but, the, but your voice and those songs, um, they hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, you're, you're, Thank you. It's just something about your voice. There's something about the way you come through. It made me emotional listening to you sing about, you know, you wish you could be on the river and you could skate away. 
Well, and that, that is right a, away, jo- a Joni Mitchell song. Yeah, I know. I, I, is, I knew that. Yeah. And um, so you sang it beautifully. Well, thank you. Where, where do you think, Margot, if you had a chance to skate away, where would you, and I know why you sung that, but where would you skate to in that song? I thought about it when I, I listened but to I it like two or three times. It, it was so compelling. Well, um, I just got back from Mexico, so I guess I would not skate there today. But um, throughout the past three years, I've really come to be appreciative of that my job allows me to travel. I've I've really missed being out and being able to perform and, and just see lots of different places. Yeah, I haven't been to New York. I haven't been uh, to the Northeast. And since February of 2020, I played Carnegie Hall and I was on Twitter and I was reading about the pandemic about to hit. And, and it was just amazing to experience New York. We did everything. We went to um, some cigar bars, some cocktail bars. We really soaked in the city. But I think if I could skate anywhere today, I would, I would go to New York pre-pandemic. I, mean, I think it's interesting you say that. I I do a lot of things going out on the road, in the field, one-on-one talking to people, but I was also doing stand-up shows and improv shows before the pandemic closed everything down. And I hadn't given it a whole lot of thought, but <laughs> you get used to the things you do being collectively experienced in a room. You get lo- used to people responding to you uh, consistently. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps that's a selfish thing that I need it, I crave it. But <laughs> but it's funny, I was talking with my wife about this the other day. It's like, I, it's been two and a half years since I've, I've had that community experience and it's transcendent and it's also a part of who I am. It's something I've, I've done for 20 years. And I, I'm like, oh, the only other places where I feel like I get response anymore are things like social media, which sounds depraved, but it is like, oh, I, I understand. I look at things like whether it's a like or a retweet and you're like, is, is this the part of my brain that needed to hear that there's other people hearing the things that I think and or say. And I wonder, as a, as a performer, have you felt, <laughs> have you been able to scratch that itch of, of knowing that you're connecting with other people? Or did you find that you had to scratch it with something else? Uh, oh, I was scratching it with all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can scratch um, it with, I scratched it with booze. I scratched it with uh, yeah. too much sleep, anger. Uh, there's a lot of scratches. There, yeah, there's a lot of ways to get that done, uh, to get that dopamine. We went out and did a little bit of touring kind of after, you know, everybody got vaccinated and it seemed kind of like everything was going to be normal again. And I, we went out and did this tour with Willie Nelson and we toured a little bit with Chris Stapleton and, you know, I was lucky enough to go open for them. And at first I was apprehensive to leave and to leave my children because I had, there was a part of me that got used to just being at home and, once I got out there and started doing it again, I was like, oh, this is the addictive feeling. And, you know, it's, it is kind of dangerous because it's like anything that goes up has to come down. And so when I got home from that tour, I just, I really did fall kind of back into a a little bit of a depression because I knew it was going to be months and months before I was just going to get to go sing for people again. And there's really nothing like that. I feel like I've done my fair share of drinking. I've experimented with all sorts of substances. I'm into running and yoga and meditation, all these things. But there is really nothing like singing for people and just getting up on stage and like connecting in that way. And social media is such a necessary evil, you know, and you can get little bits of that, like that serotonin to your brain when you get the likes and you get the retweets and everything, but it's there's just something about human connection that I fear is just going to slowly be taken away by the metaverse. It's like, <laughs> we're in our own bodies. This is a human experience. And, you know, there's just, there's little you can do to replicate it. Although we try all the time. <clears throat> Margo, the, um, you know, it's, it, it's so interesting when I read about, you know, your early struggles here as to how you, climbed up the ladder. Uh, you're so many musicians. I always think about the ones that never made it, you know, the beautiful voices, yes. right? And I know you liked Loretta Lynn and and uh, Patsy Cline, and I was always amazed at how Patsy Cline was willing to share the stage with Loretta Lynn. 
it seemed to me, at least from yes. the movie, if the movie was real. And yes. she just said, hey, honey, you go ahead and sing because you're really good. And she I always was so impressed with the fact that she wanted somebody else to do well. And I guess we all have people to rescue us. But in those early days, and the thing that I was struck by is how you funded your own uh, session at the Sun Studios. And, you know, I mean, what do we got? Elvis and Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash. And you were just trying to make it. You didn't have any money. You're hawking stuff to go in there. What was it like for you to walk into a studio place where some of the greatest of all-time performers really kind of put their put their roots down memphis has so much amazing history there's like the stacks museum of soul like every time i go in there i get so choked up and you know we went into sun and they were like this is where elvis stood and actually bob dylan came in here and when everyone left the room bob got down on his knees and he kissed the x on the ground so then when everybody left, I got down. I was like, I'm going to kiss Bob Dylan here. This is pre-COVID, you know, but no worried about germs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just, and then I went into the, the the gift shop and I was like, I wonder if people still make records here. And I saw a little neon sign that said, make your own recording. And so I called up there the very next day and we started talking to the engineer who had been in there for 11 years. And he's like, I'll give you a really good deal, but you know, we still just didn't have the money. So we ended up selling the car, pawning my wedding ring, pawning all sorts of musical instruments and stuff. And then still, by the time we got there, by the time I paid the musicians and paid for the place for us to stay, and I was buying everybody's food and all this, I'm like, oh, we just sold the car. We got all this money. I My check bounced still. It still bounced to sun. And look, they were so sweet about it. And so I went to this um, man who owned a pizza shop named Two Boots in Nashville. And he actually cut me a check for another two grand just so my check wouldn't bounce. And I mean, then we had a year of purgatory where nobody wanted to pick up the record. It was like, okay, we sold everything. We put everything in on this. And it still just was not marketable to Nashville standards. They wanted me to take off the fiddle. They wanted me to, you know, take off the walking baseline and change all these things. And I just kept telling everybody no. And then luckily Jack White and his crew stepped in and found me. And I joked that it was like a 13 year overnight success or whatever, but I still have found that I it's, it's really hard to be accepted by the mainstream and you go back and you, and you look at artists like Patsy Cline, you look at, you know, Loretta Lynn and you think, Oh, it's easy because the, all these, you know, places they do tributes to him, but you know, Loretta had more songs banned on the radio than anyone. And she was such a controversial figure in her time because she supported the pill and women's rights and stuff. And now, you know, it's like, she had to do that to, to break down the doors. But, you know, like you said, you're like, I didn't know much about you. And here I've, you know, had my foot in the door for so long, but it's just, it's, it's really interesting to, to kind of get inside and see the flaws within the system of the music business in general. And sometimes the old guard that is so strong and doesn't, doesn't want to change also, it's like I'm doing this old kind of throwback music, you know, and, it, and at first it was like, oh, we don't really know about this. And then it's funny how a couple people make records that are like more rooted and you go back, you're like, oh, well, they're an outlaw because they're doing what they want to do and they're saying what they want to say. And then you kind of see the mainstream also take on little bits of that. So I'm in here. I'm slowly chipping away at the walls of the system, I guess. My my understanding is you can't technically make a country album until you pawn your wedding ring. It's just, it's legally deemed inauthentic. So I think you had to go through that. I came to you because I, I'm a big White Stripes fan and a Jack White fan, and I, I wasn't a big country music fan. I had heard through Third Man Records about Margot Price, and so I was like, oh, I'm curious. I'm I'm curious what Third Man Records is producing here. And I will say it really opened up country music to me. I immediately, you, Sturgill Simpson, like blew my mind, became my, my, my favorite type of music. It also opened up, I was like, where has this been? And I found 
the niche that started to happen currently and also made me look back at some of these uh, albums. Totally. I think Loretta Lynn was a great one. I was like, oh, Loretta Lynn, in my mind. Oh, some conservative old country star? I bet. Let's give it a listen. And and the, the songs about the pill and everything. I'm like, oh, she is badass and wild. I'm shocked. I wasn't aware of this this type of country music. And I got way into yeah. Towns Van Zandt and a lot of the storytelling here that really was like, was never part of my Michigan upbringing. And I think what is, is really interesting about about you right now and also this time period, you talk about mainstream and mainstream country music. And and people are finding different, unique ways to be heard now. And it's the landscape is constantly changing. But it does feel like you're up against an industry and a mainstream country industry that has has a very clear idea of what it is and what it's always been and is conservative in many ways, feels like it has a political fan base. At least the assumption is the fan base is on the right and you don't challenge that in any kind of a way. Did you find any trouble having to feel like you had to change to be a part of it so that you could get people to uh, to to hear your work? Or is it something that you had to kind of struggle pushing back against and, and or discard altogether? I think, you know, there are so many preconceived notions that we have about like rock music is liberal and country music is right-leaning. And once I really started kind of researching and really listening to people like Johnny Cash, like Johnny's, Johnny's politics were all over the place. He was the man in black because he wanted to stand up for the poor and the downtrodden and the working class. And, you know, even John Prine, he's got songs like your flag to cow won't get you into heaven anymore. You know, you could even go to Bruce Springsteen. And it's funny how once you kind of get in there, there is still a common thread of like humanity and compassion that most artists seem to have. But I think for so long, I, I didn't want to play country music because I also had those preconceived notions of it. And what I was seeing was like, was really more pop music not everything in the 90s, but in the 90s, 2000s, there was all this like Nashville star and, you know, American Idol and people getting their starts where it's like, I didn't think any of it sonically seemed like country music. My favorite kinds of country music are the ones that are really talking about real life struggles and all these things. So it's, I finally just kind of made this record that was like, I'm just going to make this album for me. And, you know, I wanted to talk about what I had been through in my twenties, which was just navigating the music business. And I lost a child. My husband and I had been through a lot personally because of that. And so then I made the record and I just thought, all right, you know, Chris Stapleton's out there. He kind of is bringing back like some of these themes and, and Sturgill, of course, but it was still nobody in there wanted to trust me that, that I knew what I was talking about because they just, like you said, they have this one mold and it's like, everybody has to look the same and sound the same. And I just never felt like I, like I fit there. And I still don't, I'm still really struggling with my place. Cause it's like, I, I also, I've, I love so many different types of music. And, and before I made that country record, I was very into like Brit rock and like James Brown and soul music and, you know, all these other types of music. The kinks. The kinks. I love the kinks so much. I know much. you do. Oh, you know, Margo, I have to tell you that, um, see my view is when I was a, a boy, my next door neighbor, they were, pretty sophisticated people and one once they would take me to the to hear the symphony which I would never have heard if it wasn't for them or and they took me once to the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh to hear Grandpa Jones and Minnie Pearl and the Grand Old yes. Opry went there see I think your music when I say this I, when I say a throwback it's at the roots it's at the roots of what I think is the best of country music your voice and your storytelling Combined with something, I'll tell you what I, why I almost cried listening to you talk about your lost baby. It's your vulnerability. Your vulnerability and your openness connected with the voice and the lyrics. I mean, I got to tell you, they, it just, they, just, they just blew me away. And I don't think you got to worry about where you're going. You're a star. I mean, it proofs in the pudding. But you always say, you know, Which you're always uh, you're always close to the bottom, right? And that's kind of an interesting yeah. thing. But 
you you're just you can, I don't think you can be stopped because of because of the of what I just said the voice the lyrics well, thank you but the vulnerability that comes through and everything you write about you know I I was your dad had to sell his car I think you you sang in one place I listened to that and I was like oh what a what a great daughter you know singing about her dad and and isn't that what don't you think is is that what kind of works for you the way that you know the struggles with your family you want to buy your mom a, a farm and it, it's just fantastic <laughs> well thank you yeah i mean you know my father he, he lost the farm when i was young and uh i just really saw that affect my family and i think you know it is good to write about what you know it was, basically for me it's just been like this very um self-absorbed form of therapy and I've been really lucky to you know meet other people who have kind of been through some of the same things I've met a lot of parents who've also lost children and um and and I'm I'm really glad that my you know my story has connected and I'm I'm still trying to just remain down to earth and and not kind of lose lose my way because I think that it is really easy in this business to just like be like, Oh, it's a shiny trophy. I need the trophy. And I, you know, I need to be playing the stadiums and all, all this shit, but I just have tried to keep my head down and make good music. And um, yeah, that's been, that's been the goal because it's, it is easy to get really lost in all of it. You and John Prine share a special place in my household for multiple reasons. But one is, uh, Hands of Time is a, a gorgeous song that like Thank makes you. myself and my wife like weep. So we can't play that song or uh, Hello in There. It. Yeah, <laughs> and that and Hello in There are just like every time it comes on, we're like oh, this song, and then halfway through, you're like, turn off this song. I'm too yeah. vulnerable right now. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm I'm curious about your relationship with John Prine. I know you've performed with him uh, on stage many times, um, and yeah. it, he we lost him. Uh, due to COVID, this pandemic, which is, it's heartbreaking. And it's it's funny, you mentioned, and the governor mentioned your love of the kinks. And I've always found, I found John Prine late, but I always thought like the kinks were uh, a band that uh, felt like were so playful and satirical in a way that I was like, this, it sounds so British. I I don't know many American who attempt (laughs) this type of, this type of music. It feels, it's, it's, it's funny. It's character. It's also like, so small towny in a way that feels so authentic to Ray Davies and the way he writes. I'm like, oh, he he's talking about what it's like to grow old in a small British town. And then you're like, well, why did the Beatles blow up? You're like, well, that market is a slow, it's a, it's a very specific market. But I see like John Prine felt like he was also able, it had this American sensibility, this Illinois sensibility to talk about like the small heroes to also be satirical. I think Flag to Cal is such an amazing song yes. to listen to that I'm shocked came out when it came out. Uh, I, I wonder, like, what um, what you remember of performing with John Prine and think of John Prine uh, 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 now that he's gone. Oh, man. I um, actually just got to catch up with his wife, Fiona. We had a really special relationship with the two of them. Um, Jeremy and I would have lots of, like, double dates, and we'd go over to their house. And he was just – he was a mentor, and he was just – he was one of those people that just remained so grounded and so um, just, just salt of the earth, you know, Um, losing him was, was really devastating for us. Um, I think because he had, he had so many songs left in him. And I, I mean, he was just, still so sharp and so at the top of his game um, when he passed. And it's just something that still really hurts. But um, I mean, he put out so much work in his life. Like, and I think, you know, he was kind of one of those people that just like kept his head down and kept doing good work. And it was, you know, it was like a, a long steady rise for him. And he really had this like Renaissance kind of later in his life. And <clears throat> I tell my husband that, all the time because, you know, it's like John had a quirky voice. He wasn't like this, you know, virtuoso singer or anything, but he just wrote in a way that connected people. And so I always kind of try to keep him in mind when writing a song, you know, it's like you can almost measure everything you do by, by John's standards. 
You know, the one we lost that, that I still think about, and it, I, I just can't even figure it out, was, was Tom Petty. And I don't know, oh. Margo, if you knew him, but I mean, I, to me, what, you know, just a genius. And we just lost them. I mean, we've we lost I I mean, some to COVID. We've lost some to drugs. Fentanyl. Um, I mean, that was just devastating. Yeah. But with Tom Petty, you know. That was devastating as well. Oh, I actually, I've become really, really close with, um, with Mike Campbell, his his lead guitar player, who co-wrote a ton with Tom. They sound identical when you hear him talk. It's like they're from the they're both from Gainesville. Um, I just sang on Mike's album, which is about to be out. He wrote a really beautiful song that I'm pretty sure is about Tom, and I got to sing harmony on that. And and then he co-wrote a couple songs with me, and we keep in touch and, and message and. I mean, I, you know, as much as I love country music, I think that somebody like Tom, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, what I love about them is that they just, they have such mass appeal, but it was so good. It was pop music, but it was smart pop music. And every time that I try to write a pop song, my, my third album is more rooted in that kind of Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty. That's more what we were going for. Like we had less pedal steel, less, you know, banjo, all that stuff. But I... I think that, you know, Tom Petty wrote some of the greatest songs ever. And I mean, absolutely devastating that, that we lost him to fentanyl. And that's kind of one of the things that is going on that people are just not talking about is the fentanyl epidemic. And, you know, being a musician, I, I, there, there are drugs around, there are, you know, I've, I've worn a lot of, a lot of people all the time, like you guys know, can't do coke anymore because it's just it's it's not safe. It's it's really terrible that that that's going on and that there's not more attention being paid well, Margo, to. Margot, you mean, know you and Justin Towns both, Earl, you know trying to uh, oh, trying to run the state of Ohio with particularly with some of the parts of Appalachia and the opiate crisis in our state, yep. and the fact that there was a time when. There were these places where people, it was like almost like going to a, a carryout food place. You go in, you get your pills, you leave, and the devastation. Yeah. Now, you know, there's ways to get on top of it, but you're, you're right about the fentanyl because it's, it's brand new and you can't go out there to the street, try to score something to kill you. And No, uh, I mean. But, but there's stuff being put into it now. People are beginning to work on it, but it goes hand in hand with with pain and depression and, you know, oh, yeah. lots of things like that. But um, that's where the government needs to be involved. And uh, yeah. it's just a terrible, terrible loss of life. Before, not to get too much into politics, but I wondered what your take was on Neil Young. Oh, I'd love to talk about Neil Young. Hey, I, I want to make sure, though, that my computer doesn't die. Should I grab my cord really quick? I see the thing. Grab it. <laughs> let me do that. I, I don't know if it, let me be, let me grab it. We'll be right back after this. And now back to the show. So, Neil Young. I think, I think it's amazing. I think Neil Young and Joni Mitchell are making a huge statement. And, you know, I, I've had so many people angry at me because I posted about it. And now... Anytime I put up something, someone's like, oh, well, are you going to have, are your shows going to be censored? Are you going to censor people at your shows? And it's like, you don't even know what censorship is. You know, first of all, it's the people burning books here in Tennessee. Uh, that is censorship, you know. But I think that Neil and Joni are actually radically practicing free speech and you know the ability to you own your music you you own your rights then you have the dis, the decision you can decide where it's going to be sold i mean that's as simple as that and if you don't like the ethics of a the business then you should 100% be able to choose where you where you sell that i mean it's just it's insane and to think that you know they get they gave Joe Rogan, $100 million, and they just can't pay musicians anything. And then if we say anything about it, I think Spotify, this, you know, this tech, a lot of these tech companies, they use this kind of abusive power 
that is just says, you know, shut up and take it. And we're just going to keep doing things that are wrong and keep doing things that are wrong. And if we do it enough, then you're just going to lie down. And, you know, I think that we all have a voice and we're, you know, musicians are not dogs. You just can't say sit and speak and lay down and, and roll over. I think that, you know, this has got to continue because musicians are in such a devastating place right now. It's like the only way that we can really make money is to go out and tour. And the pandemic took that away from us. And I just see so many, you know, legendary artists that are just like touring until they die, (laughs) you know, because of course, back in the day, you could actually sell records and, and make money, but it's like, I just went out and recorded an album and used a great studio, had a brilliant producer, and it costs a lot of money to to make those records. And and then here we are not being able to make anything back on them on the back end. So I think even more than you know, standing up for disinformation, which is very important, I think that it's just the way that that Spotify has abused people from the start and you know, I, I want to be able to do more and say more about this. I've, I wrote a whole essay the other day and I didn't end up posting it, but I was like, I just am so, I'm just, it really bothers me to see people, you know, confuse censorship and free speech because it's two totally different things. People are surprised. They're like, Neil Young? Why is he political? You're like, guys, <laughs> Neil Young. Yet Neil Young is taking a political stance. Yes. Yes. That's, yes. that's happening. <laughs> yeah. People all, like, of his, all of his lifetime. Yeah. Uh, all of his lifetime. Massive respect to him. I, I am uh, the first female musician to be on uh, the board of directors with Farm Aid. So it's Neil Young, Willie Nelson, John Mellencamp, um, Dave Matthews, and me. I got inducted this last year. Very cool. And it's really awesome. And I just, you know, I I love, I've been going to Farm Aid for like five or six years now. And just being able to, you know, hear them talk so openly and and so unapologetically. And I I don't think that there's, there's anything wrong with, with uh, standing up for what you believe in. I think that that is the ultimate um, demonstration of free speech. Now, I, I wonder what, I I think we live in such charged times right now, and we're, we're referencing many of these singers who came up in, uh, for lack of a better term, like the protest era. And I think Neil Young has such seminal songs that speak to the moment, the time, the issues that were going on, the terrible shooting. And I think uh, I'm a big Dylan fan, and I feel so many iconic Same. protest movements are from uh, early 60s, Bob Dylan speaking to all of that. And I, who is who is writing that music now? Does that exist? Do we, and maybe here's a secondary question to that, do we... <laughs> at least how I imagine back in the 1960s. Governor, I think you were you were 82 back in the 60s, so you might have a, a good memory of it. But uh, I think we were all, I assume no, everybody I was then... I the gospel back then you because, were, you know, the, I knew I was getting, I was like on God's balcony when I was back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> but it feels like there was probably... There, there's fewer stations, fewer abilities, so that it seems like there's a larger audience for a smaller amount of perhaps voices or perhaps messages. Now there's so many disparate messages, which is a diversity of ideas is such a, a beautiful thing. But I, I'm wondering is is there is there the protest songs for the moments that we have right now? Will they are they achieving sort of the the type of effect that? at least I assume they did or imagine they did back in the sixties. Like who was who writing those great protest songs now? I mean, I do think there are such good political <laughs> songs. I do think pay gap is a great one that you wrote that I feel, uh, addresses that addresses a moment. Uh, uh, wh- wh- where do you see that landscape? I think it's, uh, I think it's different times. I think, you know, maybe in the sixties and seventies, I always feel like I was born in the wrong era and like, I, you know, should have been alive back then. But, um, I think that it's, it's a, it's really difficult to write a good protest song. I mean, without coming off as cheesy or too one-sided or, you know, whatever, but it's something that, you know, my husband and I have been attempting for 
decades now. Um, but it's, I think it is difficult uh, because I think people are so easily alienated. I mean, I, I don't know. And I think that people are also like, so just down with their heads down and their phone. It's like, Hey, um, we might, we might want to kind of pay attention to what's going on right now for more than one reason. I, my husband wrote on his last record, he's, my husband is signed to anti-records. It's the same label that um, Tom Waits is on. And he put out a pretty political album and there was a song on it that was called someone else's problem. And it was like, I think a nine minute song that I co-wrote with him that was like, just about everything. And it was, it was actually a very neutral song. It's just kind of talking about how you've got the two sides and they're just going at it. And it's like, but what is, you know, how can we, how can we really change things? But of course it didn't get any, radio play and you know it didn't I don't I mean it didn't hardly get any recognition at all um is that actually I'm out there I, I, I'm curious to off of that idea I feel comedians you're talking about not necessarily writing it neutrally but not feeling overtly partisan right as as but right. I feel like in a comedic world people are often saying like well if you're not overtly hot takes on one of the sides you don't have attention paid to you attempting to speak to a more uh, middle of the road or more uh, open, less uh, hyperbolic point of view isn't going to get the attention. Do you feel is that that exists in the, the music industry as well? That like, oh, attempting to write a protest song that is more so unifying isn't as sexy as something that is more flamethrowing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, even think about like Imagine was banned from the airwaves for a long yeah. time. And that was kind of a more like unifying, like, what if we just lived without you know, possessions and everyone's like, God, oh, <laughs> um, he's making your kids I, imagine your kids are listening <laughs> to this music and they're imagining a world without gonna, war. Yeah. They're going to use their brains. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, you know, it is, it's, it's difficult. I, my second album was like a, a political country record and there was a song called all American made. And it just kind of goes through the decades and, and, you know, it, it was, I love this country. I love it so much that I just want it to be great. And, you know, I, but that completely alienated me from so many people. I mean, no, no one hates, you know, a woman who has opinions more than people who just don't want women to have opinions. And, and that was, I know that it definitely, you know, damaged my career. And I was willing to just put it out there and, and let it do that. And because I, I, I wanted to say something, but I don't know, you know, I'm like looking, I wish that people were writing the kinds of songs that Bob Dylan was writing. I, I wish that there was, that there was more, uh, more people who I actually kind of felt intimidated by. I, you know, I know people are out there kind of, kind of trying to do it, but I, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, Adia Victoria, she has written some great songs. She's a, a friend of mine who lives in Nashville, and she wrote a song called South Gotta Change. So check that out. That's maybe one of my um, favorite political songs of the last couple of years. You know, um, just, you know, I think one of the problems we have today is, you know, it's hard to produce an album. <laughs> because there's just like, I want to hear one song. It's like everything else. I want to read one bit of news. I, I got to hear one song. I don't, I'm not going to listen to, you know. The attention span for yeah. just 140 and I, I think, characters. I, yeah. I think that's a problem. But listening both to you and Jordan at the top of this, I've been thinking about it since you guys said it. Uh, you know, I take a lot of positions that get people upset. People I've known for a long time are very upset. But I don't go on social media to figure out how I'm doing because I think it's a, I think it's a trip downhill. I mean, you have to yeah. think about who's doing the posting. So I, I have to tell you to try to get affirmation from that, from that box. Um, that's not where it should come from. And, and exactly Jordan, right. a lot of people, they, I've noticed because John, of you just need doing, to call me. You need to tell me I'm doing good, John. Well, I have to tell call you, me. you know, what I what I noticed, Jordan, I, you know, and I'm frankly surprised, is how many people like you. 
Um, it's been <laughs> stunning to me. But, you know, like when I was in New York, you know, people were like, they were, you know, they, they oh, Jordan, he's, yeah, he's, we, we really like him. Margo, you're, you're going up. You're not close to the bottom. You're going up. And should you do a song that you feel strongly about? Well, yeah. I mean, what, what the hell? Your career's not going backwards. So you did this album. You think, you know, you maybe had critics or whatever. No, you're doing fine. Thank I mean, you. think about you may well think about all the people. I mean, you're now hanging out with uh, with Mellencamp, who, by the way, did an interview the other day. I saw where he said, "I don't want to be loved. I don't care about hits anymore. I just want to do my thing." I mean, I was just love it. I thought it was fantastic what he had to say. So, look, we have one. You know this. We have one life, and That's if we right. really feel strongly about something, you got to say it. And if people, Amen. you know, you're not there to please them. And you're, you're, exactly. look, if you're writing something that's really catchy, it's going to work. I don't care what it's about. Although you remember, what were those, those ladies that sang about the war and they tried to kick them off the radio? I can't remember the Dixie Chicks or whatever. Dixie Chicks. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they yeah. didn't even okay. have a song about it. They just, but that yeah. was, see, yeah. they had to do that to make the ground. And all they simply said was, we just, we don't support this. And now you know, they they said what they said and, and they got completely canceled. But then you've got Jason Aldean and his, you know, propaganda Barbie wife wearing like shirts that deface the American flag. I mean, never mind that his music is garbage. Like it's all it's just like, wow. Let me put you down on on him as undecided. But Margo, <laughs> yeah. these anybody, people that have talented can write things, you know, and they do it. Cleverly. I mean, we talk about Springsteen or you talk about Dylan. I mean, these were right. very sophisticated. Amy Winehouse, you know, she kind of was a crossover, right? I mean, she, I mean, she, cause she was so good. And what yeah, I'm saying exactly. is, you know, you got to be a little sensitive about what you put out there. Just, we all have to be a little sensitive, but I mean, you do it from the gut. That's what makes you who you Thank are. You. And if it doesn't work, you know, you're going to be fine. You'll be back, you know, right. pawning your wedding ring again. But you're not, you know, just you're not going to get close to the bottom. You're on your way up. Governor, this is good. But if I you know. could get it into 140 characters, it would just be pithy. And something yeah, I know. Around. Uh, let let me know, play I, Cynic I, for this. Can I bounce Cynic off of you on this? So do it. I, I, I hear the governor and I, I understand that. But also in the entertainment industry, it's... It's hard. I'm sure for every successful, talented person you know, you probably know 10 other uh, unsuccessful, uh, talented people who, for reasons yes. that don't make sense, fortune uh, is, is a bitch in this industry. Like, uh, and you have children. If they came to you earnestly wanting to know about this industry, like, uh, what, what, what do you tell them? Are you comfortable being like, no, you're... Your your talents and insight will be respected and taken care of. Go forth, or do you say no? Learn how get into architecture. We always need buildings, so learn how yeah. to build a building. Well, actually, that's what my two year old daughter says that she is going to be a builder, and I I bought her many tool sets. She's on her way. Perfect. But uh, both of my children, yeah, yeah. They love music. I have an 11-year-old who has just recently really been bitten by the bug. He's His piano playing is just through the roof. He's playing Beethoven. All of a sudden, he's passed me up. And he keeps saying now, you know, I want to I be a musician. I, and it, forever, he wanted to be an um, archaeologist. And I was, I was more comfortable with him, you know, saying that he was going to go look for dinosaur bones. I was like, well, you probably have better luck finding a dinosaur bone than trying to break your way into this industry. It's, um, it's like kind of the more that I'm in here, the more I see the like cracks in the foundation. And, um, you know, I, I really struggle with keeping my mouth shut with the problems, but that was like what people loved about me on that first record is like, you know, that I was, I was talking about the music industry and how, you know, there were things wrong with it and I'd been taken advantage of. Well, then the second I turned that to a broader scope of like, okay, and here's the problems in the world. Here's, you know, here's the problems with, within, uh, you know, the political systems or whatever. And that was like too far over the line. And 
so it's just been, um, it has been really interesting to try to, like I said, just keep myself grounded. I actually just started therapy for the first time in my whole life. And we're talking a lot about not people pleasing because I think it's just so drilled into us, you know, that it's like, I, I don't need to make anyone happy, but myself and, and John, you're right. We've got, we've got one life and just got to go out there and, and do what you want and not be, not be worried about it. I mean, of course I don't want to like hurt people. Um, too bad. I mean, unless it's Jason Aldean, whatever. That yeah, is. you you would you you would all in on Aldean. I like it. <laughs> just oh, keep you away from Aldean. There, there's danger. Yeah, it is. It is. Tell us about your yeah. husband. Tell us about your husband because he's been a very important part of of this whole journey. He has. I met him 18 years ago, and he's had a really interesting life. He's. Um, he was adopted. He was born um, addicted to crack and had was born with cerebral palsy because of that and has been through a lot. Um, and when I met him, we had both just moved to Nashville. He was going through a divorce and um, we're, you know, we're just best friends. And he's, he is my favorite writer. He really, he's, one of the only people that I do see really pushing the envelope. And it's like, you know, he's even down there further of, you know, being unknown, but it's like, he's, he just sticks to his vision and, and I've got a lot of respect for him. We've, it's, it's been great that we made it through losing a child because I don't think a lot of people make it through that. You know, we both coped very differently and, We've, we've been through a lot. I just recently wrote a, a book that I'm getting ready to finish up and it'll be out in October of 2022 and kind of wrote just a lot about what him and I have been through. Um, it's called Maybe We'll Make It. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> started out, we had a Is that, two, that also, also sounds a bit like a threat to him to be like, I love you so much, but it's not over yet. <laughs> so still, you got to bring your A game. I know, I know. Well, the pandemic has been so trying, I think, for couples. I mean, we spend all of our time together. We're raising kids together. We work together. He plays in my band. So he's like an employee half the time. <laughs> and then we co-write together. And um, I just, I mean, I really wouldn't be here talking to y'all if it wasn't for him. He really did. I, I will never forget the morning that he came into the kitchen and he's like, I'm going to go sell the car. And he just took it down to Gallatin Road. He took it down to CarMax and just like pawned the thing and and it's amazing. And and then, um, you know, we made this record and everything just kind of took off, but it's, it hasn't come without its challenges. You know, we've, I, then I took off and left and was touring all the time and he was home raising our son and, you know, a lot of role reversal that I think um, is, could be uncomfortable for a lot of people, but he's incredibly strong to, to do all the things and support me in the way that that he has so i'm glad i'm glad that we have made it when you when you hit the road again to get out there and start performing with your upcoming tour is he is he playing as uh, with you and or what did the kids come along for for part of it how do you it feels like such a difficult question and a thing to maneuver how how, how do you handle or approach the the upcoming tour it is it is tough. And, uh, this last trip that we went on, the two of us just went together and cause we had just taken the kids on a, a little vacation. And so the two of us went out and it was, he was playing and he's right up there next to me on stage, but he's getting ready to release another album on March 2nd and March 2nd or March 3rd. And, and he's going to go out, he's opening for Tom Petty's guitarist, Mike Campbell. So he's going to be out doing his own tour and I won't have him there. And it's like, kind of feels like there's, you know, like my limb is missing. I mean, he's, he's always out there with me, but the kids, they, sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. And then my mother comes. I mean, when I was, I had just had a C-section with my daughter four weeks later, I was back on the tour bus. We had a bassinet 
nailed to the floor of the tour bus and we had a four month old baby out there with us what? and I get off stage and nurse her and, and then wake up in the middle of the night and it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild taking your kids everywhere, but um, you know, other people are out there and they're doing it too. Like, like Willie Nelson and Annie Nelson, they've, their kids have toured with them their whole lives and, and they've turned out so surprisingly well adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, I think we could handle this. <laughs> I don't know. Willie Nelson's got it figured out. I don't know what it is. If there's something in the air or he's found some sort of herbal supplement to really make him more at peace with the world. I got to do some research on that guy, but he's yeah. really, he's really, he's really found he's a way to sad. stay calm and thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't like yeah. to sound like, uh, you know, Anthony Fauci or anything, but you know, I, I kind of feel, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, feeling as though, I'm just talking to a lot of friends of mine who are doctors. I'm I'm starting to feeling like we're really going to get through this now. You know yeah. that that it's going to get better. I mean, I'm yes. I'm hopeful it's going to get better. I really and we're things are going to get increasingly back to normal. Uh, that's yeah. how I feel about where we're going. I need to hear that. It's been it's been really easy to just kind of think that the world is never going to be the same and you know, just our, like I said, my livelihood of putting food on the table, aside from going out and waitressing again, uh, on my long climb back to the middle is, is going out there and playing shows. And, um, you know, I think that there's people who've, who've went out there during this time and really set the example. I've got to give props to Jason Isbell for, um, you know, just going out there and saying, Hey, like, let's, let's do these shows. Just bring your Vax card and, and get boosted and wear a mask and, and come out so we can, you know, try to try to do our job in some capacity in a safe way. Well, I, I, for one am, am ready for it. I've been fiending for it. It's been, it's been too yeah. long and I'm, I'm glad live music is, is coming back slowly, but it's happening soon. Yes. Um, well, in the meantime, it's been amazing to do podcasts like this. I mean, I'm, I was so excited that I was going to get to talk to both of y'all. And, um, and my mom was very excited, too. She is a huge Daily Show fan, and we've watched a lot of your segments just in tears. I mean, <laughs> one that really right. got me is... Uh, I, just You were talking to this woman, and she was like, well, everyone knows that like a woman couldn't be president because she would just start wars because she'd be so hormonal. And you were like, but historically haven't men started all wars and she <laughs> dropped it. I mean, yeah, you, you really have a way of, of getting the best out of people. <laughs> I remember that lovely lady. And I, she was the star of that, that there, there, there was a pause. I will give her credit. I remember her. She, she wasn't defensive. She thought about that. She was like, yeah, all wars have been started by men. Yeah, and, she, and she, admit, she admitted it. Honestly, that was early on in the Trump era where they were like, oh, I'll listen and think about it. It, it only got, the refraction time got shorter and shorter and people just started fighting. I know, I know. It's incredible though. It, it's it's really amazing to that, you know, you get out there and and speak and and just kind of try to get to the bottom of some of these uh where, where people are coming from. Well, I feel like we're kind of getting in our silos and it's, uh, it's tough. It's, it's, we got to keep talking to people. That's the key. That's what we're doing here. Your mother sounds Please. like she has a, a great sensibility. Uh, so I she does. give her a big thank you on my end. Margo, thank you for coming and talking to us. Thank you all so much. I, I can't wait to maybe meet you sometime down the road face to face. Are you coming through New York? Um, I'm not sure, but but anytime that I do, please reach out. I would love to have both of y'all on the guest list, and I'll I'll put you in the VIP CD. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Marco. If I'm coming, I'm singing. <laughs> oh no, okay. God! You sing? No, I are you kidding? No, the Lord didn't give me a voice. He knew I would I would ruin myself that way. But uh, I look forward. I I I'd love to see you perform, and and if Jordan and I have a chance to be together and come, we'll 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 definitely do it. And um, you know, one thing you might want to say is we just need to listen to one another and not hate one another when we disagree. We can disagree and not like one another, but no more hating. Agreed. I. I Throughout this whole 
past three years, I just kind of, sometimes I just feel like a child who's in the backseat of a car and you look up and it's like snowing and your parents are arguing and you're like, you're going to crash. Just stop and just listen for just a moment. I agree with that. <laughs> it's snowing and then somewhere in the distance through the snow is this older gentleman on top of crazy snowshoes walking snowshoes. quietly, peacefully. Going sled to riding. Sled ride somewhere. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Margot's latest album, That's How Rumors Get Started, is available now. And see Margot live on her upcoming tour. Go to margoprice.net for tour dates and tickets. Thank you, Margot. Thank you. Thank you. Kasich and Klepper is a production of Treefort Media, hosted and executive produced by John Kasich and Jordan Klepper. Treefort Media's executive producers are Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and Matthew Kuglin. Line producers, Oscar Guido. Audio direction by Tom Monahan, head of audio for Treefort, with production and editing by Maxwell Carney. Talent booking by Blythe Asher. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, Colin Motel, and Anastasia Ibrahim. This podcast is powered by ACAST. <laughs>